Politics. This is Ben Max. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of the show. It's Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. Today, we're talking about New York City public policy challenges and solutions with a focus on the essential issue of childcare and how New York can make childcare more accessible and affordable, encourage families to move here, stay here, grow here, offer options for parents, nurture children, help the economy thrive, and much more that's at play here with this issue. My guest today is Grace Rao, the executive director of the Five Borough Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan public policy think tank focused on moving New York City forward. Five Borough has just released its latest policy report focused on what it calls New York City's child care crisis. And we're digging in on the challenges, opportunities, solutions. According to Five Borough, there is woefully insufficient childcare capacity to meet the needs of New York families today. And they have lots of data to back it up, some of it their own, some of it aggregated from a variety of important sources. There has been really no shortage of overall attention on this issue, but there has been an insufficient amount of government action. And that's true at all three levels of government. This conversation, as always here, almost always here on Max Politics, is focused on New York City and state policymaking, but of course the federal government has a role here as well as on virtually every issue that we might discuss. More on all that shortly. Grace Rao very soon here on the show. Grace, many listeners of course may remember, is a former longtime journalist who spent over a decade on air at New York One covering politics and policy. Grace is the founding executive director of the Five Borough Institute and in its roughly year and a half, The new think tank has also put out very thoughtful, helpful reports on issues, including addressing the city's municipal workforce crisis of understaffing and recruitment, retention, personnel challenges, as well as on moving on office to residential conversions to provide more affordable housing in creative ways and other reports. So you can check all those out at the Five Borough Institute. A reminder, we're coming to you from New York Law School and its Center for New York City Law, where I'm executive editor and program director. We are ramping up in-person programming at the center, including an upcoming event on Tuesday, March 5th, that you should join us at. It's a city law breakfast featuring Matthew Ketchke, the president of Con Edison of New York. He will be presenting on New York's clean energy future. Should be a really interesting discussion and presentation on Tuesday morning. So you can RSVP at citylandnyc.org and please do attend, but you have to RSVP. More events coming up soon as well. I'm excited about others in the works being finalized with some great guests. More on that soon. And of course, the in-depth policy and politics conversations continue here on Max Politics, now coming to you from New York Law School. In case you've missed any recent episodes, do check them out in the feed after this one. A few highlights include conversations with New York State Inspector General Lucy Lang on her office's efforts to root out corruption and waste in New York State government. We got to a whole bunch of interesting topics there. I've also spoken recently with State Senator John Liu of Queens on oversight of mayoral control of New York City schools, which is due to 
expire in June and may or may not be renewed by the state legislature and the governor. I've also spoken in recent weeks with the New York City Health Commissioner, Dr. Ashwin Vassen, about how the Adams administration is addressing the impacts of social media on youth, mental health, and related policies and public health questions. Some other great conversations in the podcast feed with State Senator Zelma Myrie, Assemblymember Alex Boris, and others. Check them out if you've missed any or all of them. Uh, as I soon bring on Grace Rao of Fiberborough Institute to discuss childcare policy in New York, just a few quick other notes to introduce the topic. Some of these from Fiveborough's report. Uh, there are roughly 500,000 children in New York City under the age of five. About two thirds of children under the age of five in the city have all parents in the workforce, whether it's single or two parent households. Two thirds of those children under five have all parents in the workforce. That's obviously a percentage, that two-thirds, that would be even higher if there was more accessible and affordable childcare options. Uh, those, of course, are the two main pillars here that we're talking about, accessibility and affordability. In 2022, there was capacity in the licensed childcare sector in New York City to serve under 50% of the children under five in the city. And there have been major challenges with providers of childcare being able to stay afloat, pay their bills, employ a consistent workforce, and even to pay that workforce a solid wage. Uh, many have closed shop, others are on the brink. There's all sorts of challenges with the city making payments on time and a variety of other issues there, some of which we'll get into here in this conversation. There are roughly 8,000 licensed childcare providers in New York City offering somewhere around 200,000 or so spots for children, about half of which are through city contracts or city offerings. Many of the city offerings are through the pre-K and 3K programs, although some of both of those are also with nonprofit providers, not at Department of Education buildings, but there are roughly uh, 8,000 overall licensed childcare providers in the city. About 5,000 of those are what's known as group family childcare, which is offered out of a caregiver's home or a refashioned home slash business and includes at least one other employee could, can serve up to 16 children. So there's many, many of those smaller uh, group family childcare out of the home or a refashioned home of some kind set up. Uh, there's about 2,000 school-based providers many of them offering the pre-K seats uh, that do uh, overall the bulk of the childcare spots in the five and under category. More than half the total seats are at those school-based providers, even though they're only about a quarter of the total locations. There are currently roughly 56,000 students in pre-kindergarten for four-year-olds in New York City. That is down from more than 70,000 when the program ramped up, I think the high year might have been 73,000 under uh, Bill de Blasio when they really made universal pre-K universal. Uh, and so that number now in pre-K is down to 56,000. There are currently somewhere in the neighborhood of 43,000 in the 3K program that has been expanding. Uh, it, it had a later expansion starting under de Blasio uh, than the pre-K program that was his signature initiative. When um, when Mayor Adams came into office, he inherited a very challenging situation on that. Maybe we'll get into more of that later. 
in terms of the 3K program being expanded with expiring federal aid. And the mayor, uh, current mayor has uh, had all sorts of challenges on that. But that drop even in the pre-K number from over 70,000 down to 56,000 is indicative of a few things, including dropping birth rates, families moving out of the city uh, during COVID, and also questions about how the city is or isn't doing enough outreach to get kids enrolled. When it comes to paying for childcare, it can cost roughly $15,000 to $30,000 per year, depending on the setting and the neighborhood, uh, but still talking about all group settings here. And that is you know, far beyond what would be deemed affordable for many families. And like with so many things, the burdens of finding accessible, affordable childcare are widespread, but fall disproportionately hard on New Yorkers of color and of course on women still uh, in many cases, sort of the, the the caregiver or expected caregiver or the person in the family, uh, if not a single mother, expected to uh, stay home with a child and not work uh, in many instances. And so all of these challenge being challenges being felt disproportionately by uh, Black, Hispanic, Asian, New Yorkers, and of course, women across the board. Um, for the sake of this childcare conversation, keep in mind, we're not talking about uh, nannies here. We're not talking about those arrangements where an individual caretaker is hired by a family to care for a child or two, maybe more, uh, based out of the home. There are, of course, many thousands of those arrangements across the city, especially for some of the youngest children, uh, but, but not always. Uh, and many types of also informal family arrangements where grandparents and others take on childcare duties. The provider system is diverse and fragmented. We'll get into a little bit of that with uh, Grace Rao in just a moment. The, the challenges facing the city also do include, as I got at, some of these big questions about the city's efforts to ensure at some semblance of universality in the pre-K program and then definitely in the 3K program and whether the funding is there, the outreach to families there, uh, and how it all interconnects with issues like affordable housing among others, there have been ways in which the administration of Mayor Eric Adams has reduced by hundreds of millions of dollars the budgets for pre-K and 3K. But again, the administration argues, uh, there's a lot of nuance and debate here, that that's around right-sizing for demand. There are still definitely issues with outreach and questions around the city ensuring that there are seats where they need to be. The city says they're working on that and making sure that there are requisite seats in the neighborhoods with the most demand, because uh, you do have people being even offered 3K slots that are very far from where they live, creating all sorts of different challenges. So there are a lot of people in government working on this, uh, not only the mayor, but of course, Governor Kathy Hochul has worked on this. There have been things that have passed in recent years. There's other proposals out there from the mayor, from the governor, from city council members, state legislators, a variety of people working on this issue, but it is also still a sector in crisis and there are crises of availability and affordability and a big mismatch uh, between supply and demand and very big questions around how to attract and retain people in New York City, uh, whether they have children or may at some point or how it all fits into the broader discussions of livability and affordability and thriving economy as well. All right, and to get into these challenges around childcare policy in New York and where we go from here, Grace Rao is with me. 
As I said, Grace is the executive director of the Five Borough Institute think tank and a former journalist, a great reporter for many years at New York One Television and a wonderful colleague. Her reporting, uh, from my vantage point, especially covering the de Blasio administration together, especially uh, holding that administration accountable was just so uh, great and important and exciting to talk to you, Grace, here in this role leading the Five Borough Institute, which again was founded in the middle of 2022 to advance policy ideas for New York's future. I'll let you say a little bit more about it. It's been operating for about a year and a half now, and it's also headquartered here at New York Law School, uh, though it's an independent entity itself. Grace, welcome. How are you? I'm great, Ben. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It is so fun to be here with you to get to talk about these issues and now to be neighbors and collaborators at New York Law School. Yes, it's great. Uh, and I was excited to see the release of this report and have a chance to uh, to chat about this and, and some of the other issues that you've been focusing on at the Fibro Institute and will be focused on. Say just a little bit more for folks about what Fibro is, what exactly you're trying to do, how you're maybe choosing what issues to tackle. Sure. Uh, so, so the Five Borough Institute, as you noted, is a new organization we launched in the mid twenty mid twenty twenty two. It was founded by Tom Allen, who's the publisher of City and State, and by Dick Ravitch, who um, sadly is no longer with us. Passed away last summer, but Dick um, is one of those New York figures who needs no introduction. I'm sure to folks who listen to your podcast, a, a legendary civic leader, uh, former chairman of the MT. TA, instrumental in helping save New York from the fiscal crisis in the 1970s, and also someone who really believed deeply in the power of building unlikely coalitions to help the city that he loved above all else. And so every day, we at the Fibro Institute are really focused on celebrating his legacy through our work. And to do that, we set out with the fairly ambitious agenda um, or ambitious mission to put forward advanced, smart, innovative, and implementable public policy ideas to tackle big challenges facing the city. And, and when we launched in 2022, you know, the city was really coming out of COVID, out of the pandemic, there were a lot of questions about where New York was headed, what its future looked like, um, and some some major challenges when it came to the way people lived and worked and played in a city like ours. And so um, we pulled together uh, our board. We have an incredible board, many veterans of past administrations, uh, folks who have spent their careers in and around government, understand how to be effective change agents, and fundamentally people who care deeply about the future of the city. And so we've we've brought this group of folks together um, and we work with many people who are not formally affiliated with our organization in any way um, to really just try to help New York, help it be its best version of itself, its strongest version of itself. Um, and so childcare, which I know we're talking about at the top here, uh, was an issue that I knew we wanted to tackle from the get-go. I'm a 
mother of two children myself. My children are thankfully in public school and no longer uh, in daycare, and we're not navigating all of the challenges from a financial standpoint associated with that period um, in in the life of any young family in New York. Um, but I knew that this was a huge challenge that was facing the city and one that was really um not getting better, in fact, getting worse. Um, it also was a stated priority of this administration at City Hall and also of the governor in Albany. So we felt like there was a real opportunity to do something meaningful here, in part because we knew that there were partners in government who were already focused on this. Um, and so we wanted to come to the table with a set of ideas to help and also uh, help ensure that the changes that we need are adopted and implemented. Great, thanks. And uh, as I noted in the introduction, you put out several reports already tackling some other issues um, and we'll get into maybe a little bit of, of some of those other topics as we go here. Taking on childcare and this issue right now Clearly, accessible, affordable childcare is an issue for New Yorkers. It's an issue for want to be New Yorkers, right? It's like one of these issues like housing costs that are part of the question for what is competitive, attractive about the city. It's about um, people being able to come here either already with children or with the idea that maybe or definitely they plan to have children. And it's also about sort of families being able to stay in in New York City where and I mean, you know, you don't have to set out rankings here, but where do you see affordable, accessible child care in sort of the 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 list, the rankings of major issues? You call it a crisis in your report. Where do you sort of see this in New York City's challenges it's facing? I mean, so many people put, you know, affordable housing as as kind of number one. Uh, obviously housing just touches every single person, whereas childcare doesn't necessarily personally touch every single person. But how do you think about it, sort of where it fits in the broader challenges facing the city? Great question. I, I think it's right up there behind housing as an issue, right? So housing touches all of us. Childcare in a less direct way touches all of us too. Right. It has a huge impact on the economy at large for New York. Uh, the city itself estimated that in 2022, New York lost $23 billion in economic activity as a result of parents leaving the workforce or downshifting their careers to take care of children. We see it in um, anyone who depends on another human <laughs> for anything in New York uh, should care about our child care system because chances are there's a decent chance that that person who either, you know, works at the hospital that you need to visit or uh, teaches your child or walks your dog or works at the library or at the grocery store, any, you know, is, is a, works on the MTA, on is a bus driver. I mean, there are so many people in New York with children and in order for them to do their jobs, I, uh, well and reliably and with consistency, they need to have reliable and dependable and high quality child care. So there is a broader economic argument here um, that it affects all of us, not only families with young children during that sort of zero to five stage. Sure, and sure. and it, and housing, yeah, housing is also just 
top of mind yeah. too, clearly. And as you note in the report, you know, we also saw in a very acute way how childcare came to the fore during the pandemic when so many people were told to stay home, but there were so many essential workers and it was like, okay, you want essential workers to go in and schools are closed. What's happening with those people's young children when they have young children? And this idea that the city had to prop up and make sure that there was care for essential workers' children uh, sort of get at the, the again essential nature of having you know uh, available and accessible childcare. Um, before we get into all sorts of specifics here in your findings and your report, and and I really love by the way, and everybody of course can check out the Five Borough Institute report, and you can follow along with some of it as we're as you're listening to this if you have it available, or you can read it after. But um, I, you know, I, I so appreciate in your work how you credit other organizations and you, you know, you just say very clearly, we're not the first ones to take this on, but we are trying to really bring together a lot of research, new ideas, um, you know, good data, things that are manageable, uh, practically near term, things that are longer term. So we'll get into a lot of those specifics, but Lay out for people what how you think New Yorkers and New York policymakers and people with a stake in New York, whether it's business leaders or just individuals or or whoever it might be, how we all should be thinking about what the sort of North Star is here. What's the goal? Um, you discuss this in a report, but but what's your sort of perspective on how we should be thinking about uh, where we're really trying to go here? We set as our North Star universal child care, which we define as free or low-cost child care for all New York City families. Our plan that we put forward this week at Five Borough is not a how to implement universal child care for New York City plan. What it is, is uh, an important set of policy building blocks that will bring us further down the road toward universal child care and are a series of policy levers that are either low cost or moderate cost that are implementable uh, in some cases by the city itself and others in partnership with the state of New York. Um, but these are all doable policy solutions and ideas that will in the short and immediate term, stabilize, help stabilize the sector, and help make really meaningful improvements when it comes to accessibility, accessing childcare, and affordability. So that's where we started. And we we did so because we, while we wanted to make it clear that universal childcare was our North Star, we didn't want the city to be waiting for a time and a place where the sort of full political and public will exists to get us to that point. Um, because we were really concerned about what would happen between now and then. And so we, through our report, if, if these policy ideas are adopted, we will definitively move much closer to a universe in which universal child care can become a reality, can, can be something that families across the city can access. Um, but this is more of an imp 
implementable plan for the short term for New York City when it comes to child care. And there is, um, you have read through our report, Ben, there is a lot that the city can do in the short term to make a really big impact for families. Um, but, but as we discuss in the report, you know, one of the benefits of a universal system is that there are fewer, we, we it would allow us to remove many of the hurdles and barriers that exist for families uh, to enter the child care system. And right now, one of, one of the many is sort of complicated uh, factors that, that families in the city deal with are, um, you know, lots of bureaucratic hurdles that are in place and applications that are quite lengthy and detailed and must be filled out perfectly in order for families to access the subsidized care that they are actually eligible for. Right. You know, uh, you're, you're a generalist, I'm a generalist, whether as journalists or, or policy people, and digging in on some of these things, I mean, it's really remarkable reading your report, you know, it's like a little bit overwhelming how many different elements there are to so many of these systems, and it is so fascinating to see, okay, we have these various levers that some of them may be very challenging, very complicated, but you have these very various concrete levers that can be pulled to actually make things better relatively soon. And that's, you know, a very encouraging thing when you dig in on something that is also extremely daunting. And it was, you know, I knew this, but it was really interesting to see you lay out the fragmented system that we have, which has some benefits to being fragmented. And that's a, an interesting aspect of all this, right? We want a diversity of options in something like childcare, like we want a diversity of options in basically everything. Um, but it's also a fragmented system where even as the city is expanding its offerings through things like universal pre-kindergarten for four-year-olds, and then some semblance of a 3K system to expand that, you also have all different types of daycare options and even within the 3k and and 4k systems you have school-based you have nonprofit based i mean it's really complicated so just say a little bit more about what i'm getting at there which is the landscape um that people should should know you don't have to go through every piece of it there's just so much of it but what are a few things that sort of stand out to you in terms of important things for just New Yorkers and New Yorkers who care about policy, care about childcare, especially, should sort of know here about the current uh, landscape of how childcare works in New York City for for under fives, and in some ways you could even take the universal pre-K off of that list, right? I mean that's sort of almost taken care of. And correct me if I'm mm -hmm. wrong here, but we're almost talking about under four really at this point. Yes, yes. I know your report is five and under, but I'm just saying, you know, it's, New York City. It, I think because historically a lot of the data tracked five and under, right. if that makes sense, right? Because five was viewed as the start of kindergarten. Right. And so we know uh, we have 500,000, give or take, children who are five and under in New York City. Um, we, if every child in that group wanted to get a licensed child care seat in New York, they would we would not be able to accommodate all of them. We would not be able to accommodate half of them. So that's sort of a I think a decent starting point for a response to your question. So we have um fewer than half the number of licensed child care seats uh, in the city to, 
as compared to the overall population of children. Now, now not every child uh, five and under is looking for uh, a licensed child care seat. We have, you know, in some families, there may be a parent that is home and caring for children or a relative that is doing that. Other informal um, child care setups. A, a lot of the, we don't do a great job of tracking um the use of nannies, um, in part because many nannies are paid off the books. Um, and so the, it's harder for the city and state to have really reliable data in terms of kind of the, the number of families that employ a nanny for child care. But, but for the vast majority of families um, in the child care system, so to speak, um, they're going to formal child care centers. Um, this, this might be kind of a, a chain, either nationally, a place like Bright Horizons or a local chain. There are lots of neighborhoods that, that may have an established child care center with four, five, six or more different locations. Um, and then there is home-based care where uh, a licensed child care provider is operating out of their home to uh care for young children. And there are a lot of rules, uh, you know, associated with kind of the adult to child ratio. It depends on, uh, you need more adults if you're dealing with very young children, fewer as they get older, um, and a whole host of requirements that have to be met there. Um, but those are the range of options that are available to families. Uh, what's challenging for parents is that there is not an easy, user-friendly, one-stop shop source to understand what might be available to you in your neighborhood. I don't know if, if you had this experience, but when my younger daughter, we had moved to Brooklyn, we were looking for childcare, and I'm, you know, looking on parent lists, I'm searching the internet, I'm asking friends of friends. There's this, it, it this kind of like, there, it almost feels like Child care centers, unless there's a big sign in front, if it's a home-based center, it's like a closely guarded secret. And you need to, um, you know, put out feelers and have a personal referral to get in because in many cases, they they don't have enough room for all the people that want seats. Um, so there's, there's a whole host of challenges associated with navigating um, care for that phase of life for a child in the city. You know, I think sometimes it's it can be lost sometimes on people who either had kids a long time ago or or don't have kids, never had kids, maybe you know for whatever reasons. Um, but the 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 challenges and dilemmas facing new parents and young parents around some of these questions where you're looking for childcare, you get on a wait list, and you have no idea if you're going to get a seat off of that wait list, and that can affect whether you have to pay more money for a nanny not go to work. I, I mean, these these choices and challenges are really um, sort of existential in terms of like being able to live somewhere, being able to earn an income. And it's, um, you know, to your point, experiencing this with our now seven-year-old, I mean, there is just this incredibly challenging and frustrating, um, uh, you know, game is not the right word, but just way in which you're you're searching and you're trying to figure out who has a spot, uh, you know, and, and things can get crazy with weightless deposits, um, all sorts of stuff. You have to decide about trade-offs in terms of location. I know this is something that's facing the city's 
3K system now as they're sort of pulling back on some of that funding and some of those seats, which is the city might offer many families a spot, but some of those spots are now becoming further and further away, perhaps from where people live. And you have to make huge choices about lifestyle and quality of life and affordability and all those things related to these these many moving pieces and challenges. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you if you were going to keep going there, um, but either way, in terms of, of of your sort of findings and the current landscape as we move towards you know your your suggested solutions, um, what stuck out to you the most in terms of the real challenges that this sector as a sector of the economy of offering childcare is facing? Um, you know we can sort of almost jump back and forth between the challenges for people seeking childcare and the people providing childcare. And sometimes it's, it's some of the same people, but there's so many challenges finding as we're talking about. And then also the challenges of running these uh, businesses, these nonprofits, these locations uh, there's huge challenges in the, in the childcare sector in terms of being able to uh, stay open, afford staff, uh, pay staff a living wage and all of these things. Totally. I mean, so one pretty staggering figure in our report is uh, the fact that there are 1,400 fewer childcare providers operating in New York City today compared to 2015. So, so this is a sector that has been very hard hit for a whole host of reasons. The pandemic obviously was, was a major uh, challenge for the childcare sector because while there were, as you noted, um, many people who needed to continue to have childcare and go to work, essential workers, uh, the vast majority of people were hunkered down at home and pulling their kids out of childcare centers. And for many of those businesses, they couldn't stay afloat. If they could, it may have been because they were largely dependent on federal pandemic era funding supports coming in for small businesses. Mm -hmm. That funding has uh, since stopped, and that's also led to um, a lot of challenges for uh, providers. We also have a fundamental economic tension with the way that the sector is structured right now, where parents are basically not even at their limit, they're past their limit in terms of what they can afford to pay. And yet at the same time, childcare providers are sort of just squeaking by, barely making ends meet, and their employees are among the lowest paid workers of any sector in New York City. So this is also a a field in which it is very hard to retain staff because people simply cannot afford to stay in these jobs, even if they love them. It becomes untenable for so many New Yorkers to work in the childcare sector because they simply don't make enough money. And part and, of that, right, yeah. is because of scale, because you can't have that many one-year-olds under the care of one adult. And there's, yes. and there's uh, requirements, as you got at earlier, in terms of staffing ratios that go by age that are very important for the safety of the young people. But if you can't scale up the number of, of clients and the income, then it's very hard for providers to pay pay their staff. I mean, it's sort of, you know, some some of those issues. And then we get into this 
issue where there's certain places that charge extremely high tuition up to $30,000 plus a year, and they might be able to then pay their staff a little better, but that's an, an immense barrier to entry that makes it accessible to, you know, the well-off or upper middle-class people who are willing to spend, you know, an inordinate amount of money on that. Um, but we're also, I mean, we're also getting at, you know, we're also getting at the reason that public school is a function of the government, right? And we're getting at the fact that to do this all so much by private sector, plus some government subsidies and vouchers and all of this in the modern economy is just like totally out of whack, right? And that's sort of a point that you get at, which is like, government really has to step in here in significant ways. Yes, yes. We we do need government to step in in significant ways. And when we go back to that North Star of universal child care, we know that that will require a significant government investment to get something like that off the ground. But there is a, a real economic argument to be made that, uh, and and cost savings argument to be made that that is a, an investment that will pay off um, many times over uh, down the line, not only for families, but for employers. Um, and so we do think that is where we need to be headed. But um, sort of given the, the financial constraints that the city is under currently, we wanted to focus on short-term implementable wins that we can make to have some real meaningful improvements in the system overall. And there are things like when we talk about how hard it is to operate uh, a child care center in New York, there are things that the city can do. In many cases, in some cases, things they are doing already, but they need to go further to make it easier um, for these providers to operate. So for instance, uh, things like understandably, obviously, you need a background check if you're going to be uh, a child care worker and work with young children. But there has historically been just a huge backlog of these background checks. And it's taken um, weeks and weeks for somebody to get their background check approved. All of that just slows down the time uh, a child care center may be without staff and therefore may need to even turn some children away that they could otherwise uh help out. If if you get a job, you know, for a Wall Street bank, I can guarantee you your background check is going to be processed in 24 hours and you're mm -hmm. going to be, you know, sort of on the trading floor the next day. We need to do a better job of speeding up things like background checks. We need to do a better job of streamlining uh, site visits by city agencies that go to make sure uh, a facility is safe, is ready to receive children. Um, the city itself contracts with many of these child care providers and pays them for providing these services. And yet we have seen significant delays in the payments. The city's not disputing the payments. They know they owe this money. Mm -hmm. But in some cases, it's taking many months over a year for child care providers to actually receive the money that they are owed from the city. And you can imagine you're running a small business with incredibly thin margins. You can't wait a year for a check to come in from the city of New York. You need that money to be paid in a very timely manner. And so, so those are just some examples of small changes that the city 
is within its power to make that could have a real big and positive impact on childcare providers. Yeah. Say, say a little bit more about some of these sort of very concrete changes in city policy, in management, in staffing. What are a few of the like key tangible items that take us even further in some of the lists you were already saying about speeding up background checks and inspections and some of these things like these are very concrete, specific items that are not about sort of big, broad overhauls of policy. Um, but, you know, for example, uh, there's been staff vacancies and questions about outreach from the Department of Education when it comes to the early childhood uh, division and the outreach that was seemingly done more robustly. I mean, that's what folks say uh, when pre-K was really getting on universal pre-K was really getting off the ground and 3K was starting and you know, there's a lot of stuff here that's like government atrophy that happened somewhat during COVID, which also coincided with the end of one mayoral administration, which itself often happens. So, you know, and this is not to throw everything at Mayor Adams's feet, but also now, you know, two plus years into office, it's time to make sure to get some of these things addressed. But say a little bit more about some of those tangible city government under the control of city government steps that could and should be taken to address some of these issues. Sure. So uh, outreach is certainly um, top of mind uh, for us and is is an area that we focus on in our report, because that is something that does not require legislation. No one needs to approve it. Albany doesn't need to sign off. That is totally within the city's power uh, to do. And to your point, we saw that uh, outreach done in a really robust outreach around the rollout of universal pre-K for four-year-olds. Um, and we saw how effective it was in terms of educating the public, getting families to enroll their children into the system when it was first launched about 10 years ago. So, so there is, um, we certainly think that the city should be doing much more, um, especially around 3K, but also around kind of early childhood offerings and subsidies. There's something like, it's something like 90% of families that are eligible for nutrition assistance um, get it. It is fewer than half of families that are eligible for childcare subsidies actually access them. Mm -hmm. There is a gap there. The gap, as we understand it, is a combination of families that may not realize that they are eligible for these subsidies. And then families that do know that they are eligible but the hurdles that are in place to actually access them are so cumbersome um, that in some cases they sort of abandon them or may have other reasons why they're reticent to, to actually apply for these for these child care subsidies. So, so one of the ideas in our paper that we put forward that that's sort of a new kind of uh, proposal is a text message platform that we think the city should create to have an easy low-tech, low-cost way of communicating with parents of young children. So anybody that has had a child at a hospital in New York, at some point you're discharged, you have your baby, you've got your car seat, they discharge you to send you home. And at that moment in time, we think that the city should be asking parents if they want to sign up to receive text messages from the city of New York. I was so struck when my children entered the public school system 
suddenly there was a mechanism for the city mm -hmm. to communicate with me and my family. Mm -hmm. um, and so we heard about all sorts of services that our children and our family might be eligible for um, that were not on our radar previously, simply because we were now part of sort of the DOE communication system and we right. could receive information. That type of communication should start from day one for families. And there's a whole host of ways it could be helpful, not just directing parents to the My City website where they can learn about whether they are eligible for childcare subsidies. It can be a way to educate families about 3K and pre-K offerings. You could imagine the Department of Health using it to talk with families about infant care and sending reminders for, you know, wellness visits or checkups. There's there's sort of a whole host of ways in which this could be deployed as a communication tool. That's just one example and idea that we put on the table in our paper, again, well within the city's power to execute something like that. Let me come back to this issue of um, some of the uh, state-provided uh, child care funding and subsidies, it, it struck me and I know many others that your report notes that um, the city is leaving hundreds of millions of dollars of state funding for childcare on the table, not maximizing what it could draw down from state allocations to provide childcare. What's, what's going on there and what's the solution on that? So I think that is a case where outreach, again, is, is so important. And it becomes... We need, on a macro level, greater public investments in our childcare system, but it is very hard for the city of New York to ask the state for more funding for childcare when the state can say, wait a second, you're not spending all the money that we've already given you, so you don't need this, right? And so this it's is about the city getting getting lower-income families lined up with yes okay yes getting lower income families lined up for child care seats they have i mean the city gets a ton of credit for the work that they have done to expand um the number of families who are receiving vouchers for child care mm -hmm. uh, there's been a significant uptick i think it's something like 32,000 families um are now receiving child care vouchers uh, it's an over 200% increase from what it was, I believe, when the mayor first came into office. So we applaud them for that. That is that is fantastic. But again, pull back for a second, Ben, 500,000 children under the age of five. And, you know, these vouchers are for 32,000 families. Hugely significant to those families, and, and many of the families that receive those vouchers are among the most vulnerable in New York. Um, they certainly need that help, but it is, uh, there is a huge universe of children um, and families that are not uh, still still waiting for help, need help um, to, to make this work for them. Yeah. So you have uh, seven buckets of policy ideas. Um, we've we've sort of touched on some of them, but let's let's get into some others. I'll just quickly read read off the seven buckets again. Folks should find the report and, and check it out. Uh, shore up the city's existing childcare infrastructure. Connect more families to care. We've been talking about both of those quite a bit. Expand and simplify access to free and low cost care. Make it easier for childcare providers to do business. You mentioned a few things on that. 
bolster the childcare workforce. This is an area I know the governor has also made sure there's more state funding for, but is uh, still in need of more attention. Create more physical space for childcare. I definitely want to get into that a little bit. And I know uh, there's been more sort of business world, real estate world interest in this, and you have a very broad sort of coalition supporting this report or, or uh, uh, giving sort of complimentary quotes uh, on this report. And there's several coalitions working on this issue that you're part of some of them uh, and you reference others in the report. Um, but, but the space issue is one that's come up a number of times. And then number seven, bring employers into the conversation. We, of course, touched on that a little bit. Um, say a little bit about that physical space category and what's going on there. I know there's been some movement on the question of tax breaks uh, for businesses that that create offerings for childcare, but there's also been some push for more of that or enhancing that and then other questions around how to create more space. Say a little bit about that one. Sure. So um, so the tax break that you referenced, there is, there is a tax break in place um, to incentivize sort of using physical space in a building for a child care center. Um, but there is a new coalition um, spearheaded by the Real Estate Board of New York and District Council 37 uh, to um, to really focus on the, the physical needs of child care providers by and large, although not exclusively. But um, but I'd say that's sort of this this at the center of of their policy priorities, but but one of them is that this uh, this tax incentive um, they're they're calling for the actual amount that's been put aside for this incentive to stay the same, but they think the benefit um, to developers or providers um, should grow to to create more of an incentive uh, mm-hmm. for this to pay off. So essentially, they're looking for some tweaks um, to make this a more attractive incentive. Um, it hasn't been drawn down or taken advantage of by nearly the number of folks that. Um, that everyone had hoped uh, would would use it. And so that's a change there. Um, and then the other thing is uh, creating more flexibility around where child care centers are allowed to operate. So, so right now, by and large, there are very strict rules that require you to be on the ground floor of a building, which from a fire and health and safety standpoint makes a lot of sense at face value. Um, but we talked about the high cost of housing. Real estate is expensive in this town and ground floor real estate is often um, some of the more expensive real estate that is available. And if you go up one floor or down one floor, it gets a lot cheaper. And that can make mean the difference for someone who may want to open a child care center um, between their ability to open their doors and saying, uh, this isn't going to work because I can't sort of make the math work on this rent or what I need to do for this physical space. So um, this is something that was actually part of the new New York report that came out in 2022. That was a you know coalition of leaders across New York convened by the Economic Development Corporation to, to come up with kind of smart public policy ideas to help the city. Um, and that was something they put on the table as part of that report. And um, 
it hasn't moved forward. Uh, so, so that group, as well as us, um, thinks that that needs to be uh, really taken up and advanced um, just to make it easier for, for these centers to open. And that, of course, makes me think, because that, that panel was focused a lot on the central business districts and questions around how to rethink, especially Midtown, as more of a 24-7 live-work-play area. And the, and the new New York panel went beyond even its its initial charge. Uh, and I, when the report was released, had one of the co-chairs of that panel, Dan Doctorow, join me here on the show. Folks want to go back and listen to that conversation from a while back now, discussing sort of the the goals and some of the suggestions there. Um, but, you know, it makes me think about all the sort of empty retail space in Midtown and some of the, you know, ways to rethink. But again, the the the, the finances have to make sense. Um, and that's where, you know, it'd be interesting to see, again, more, more government look at this. There's so many more pieces that we could get into here. Uh, we only have, you know, five, 10 more minutes left to talk. So, uh, any other solutions that you're putting out there that we haven't gotten to that you want to make sure to give a shout out to? Again, we're not going to obviously get to nearly all of them, but what haven't we talked about in terms of the policies uh, that you're promoting in the report that you want to make sure to shout out? And then also, I found it very helpful, even though I follow this stuff, I found it very helpful that in the report you cited specific city and state legislators who have proposed bills. I don't know if there's any of those you also want to highlight, but in terms of, of your recommendations, um, what else that we haven't mentioned that you want to mention? Sure. So quickly, just one last one on the physical space front. Um, you know, we have declining public school enrollment in, in New York, um, which also I think is tied into our child care uh, crisis. But but there are many schools that are open, but maybe are not using all of their classrooms to full capacity. We think that is something that the city should explore, um, taking and maybe refurbishing uh, vacant, empty classrooms and turning them into child care centers. The city's already paying for these facilities. It's sort of a sunk cost. Um, so that's sort of another creative idea that we have in here um, as a way to uh, create more physical space for child care. And then in terms of sort of the the idea of expanding um, the affordable the affordability question, expanding who is eligible uh, for lower cost child care, um, eliminating the wage floor for subsidized care. So there is actually um, a, a limit. Like if you don't make enough money, if your wages are too low, you might not qualify for subsidized care. It's quite a complicated formula. Um, but basically, the mayor in this administration, in their own child care blueprint, uh, called on the state to end what's known as the wage floor. And the city estimates that up to 10,000 families could be impacted and get uh, subsidized care if that were to go away. So we are, are in support of them continuing to advocate for that. And, and we agree with that as well. Um, and then we also think that the income ceiling needs to be looked at so that more families um, can qualify. So the, the governor uh, invested state funds to grow the number of uh, families that are eligible for subsidized care. So now now it's a family of four making up to $99,000 would be eligible. Um, but it is a really bright line. And there are stories of parents uh, in New York who have turned down 
job promotions or new job offers that would pay more because it would just Mm -hmm. bump them out of the sort of qualified pool um, and affect their subsidized childcare. That's an insane situation. Other states have created a little bit more of a buffer, more flexibility so that families don't fall off a cliff when they go, you know, over that uh, income threshold. Um, And then more broadly speaking, uh, we think that that number should should grow. That families should be eligible for subsidized care, even if they're making more than ninety nine thousand dollars a year. So those are those are some of the ideas um, that would require state cooperation, uh, but would have a really big impact uh, on families and their ability to stay here. And you talk in the report about potential solutions around, you mentioned earlier, the the mayor has launched the initial phase of his My City portal, which is supposed to eventually, we'll see if it gets there, there's big, you know, big hurdles around doing this, um, sort of a one-stop shop for all city services where people could have an individualized uh, account potentially and do everything from, you know, business permits to childcare to other things. We're a long way from that, but you recommend the idea of trying to figure out, I think ideally at my city, uh, at least it started with a focus on childcare. So make that into a really robust childcare information hub, sign up hub, uh, a place where you can really find all of your options. And there's legislation that's been passed to try to uh, collect a directory of childcare options, get that moving, get that on my city connect my city with the 3K and pre-K connectivity. Go ahead. Yes. No, all of the above. I mean, right now, my city, which is where we're directing families that want to learn about child care, is not where you sign up for 3K or UPK, right? So that's like problem number one. Even the fact that that legislation had to be introduced to mandate the creation of a child care directory is sort of mind-blowing, but it hasn't been implemented yet. So there is no sort of exhaustive user-friendly directory for families um, to access to figure out what their options are. So there is a ton of work that we need to do here. And uh, and just... um, you know, I just want to draw your attention to the fact that the the city created um, what they called the Office of Child Care last year, about a year ago. Um, and the idea was to have somebody who was empowered to sort of break through silos and solve a lot of these thorny problems that have that in many cases this administration inherited. Um, but that office has been vacant since the fall. And the city, the the mayor and his team said yesterday that they are, you know, looking to bring somebody new in. But that role has a ton of potential that has not been fully realized because there are all these different uh, kind of silos and buckets uh, that that the public needs to navigate in order to get childcare. And we need to really simplify it as much as possible. And having somebody who can sit on top of that bureaucracy and break through walls is going to be so important for us to get this right. Yeah. Um, one thing I don't think we really got to, uh, unless you, you stuck it in there and I missed it, but, uh, which is possible, but, um, you know, and and again, we're 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 not quite at this point, maybe, but I'm interested in your thoughts on this idea because it's in the report as well. 
And I know that it's, uh, it's, it came up again around essential workers during the pandemic. Um, and it's come around on, up around other things as well, which is hours of operation and the idea that we have sort of, again, outdated thinking about when people need childcare, how do you make it a potentially 24 hour system? How do you make it available for drop-ins? I mean, we're talking about a massive expansion of offerings, but I don't know if you have a, a quick thought on that and where to prioritize that in terms of both the legally allowed hours of, of childcare, um, which I know is in, in the report for, for rethinking and expanding, but also this idea of, I don't know, do we want to try to get to a 24 hour system? Obviously there's, you know, big questions around whether, you know, we want to allow drop-offs of, of very young children at all hours of the day and night to, to even license places. But what are your thoughts on sort of the hours and offerings there and how that fits into both what's sort of practical in the near term and the universality North Star? Right. So, so that is a, definitely a hot topic. Um, that is one of the policy pillars of that coalition that the Real Estate Board of New York and DC 37 have um, put together recently. Uh, because as you can imagine, it, there's so many, so many people for their jobs that that do not this is new york yeah. <laughs> like please introduce me to somebody who works a nine to five job yeah. i don't know them <laughs> i have not met them so we know that people have very diverse needs when it comes to child care and there are real limits to what is on the table um so so we think the city should be trying to work with child care providers to figure out how to make that possible but I do believe that will require um, either some innovative business models or more public support in order to create a system like that. Because if you're going to, you know, have hours from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., um, I, I don't know sort of the full like city regulations in terms of how long somebody is allowed to work uh, in a setting like that, but presumably you would need to have sort of two shifts of employees right. um, who would be coming in to work with children. And um, and so right now, even under our sort of limited regular office hours, which I put in quotes, air quotes, um, these the, the providers are having a really tough time. So um, I think there is huge demand for it. Um, and if we, and, and we need to get creative and be talking about it, definitely. All right, well, I'll kick it back to you in a moment for any final thought, anything again that, uh, that we haven't gotten to. Uh, we're not gonna get to other things I was hoping we, we could get to because we've had so, so much to talk about about the childcare report, but we will uh, chat again in the future about some of the other issues that you've been working on. We've talked a little bit about how municipal government staffing coincides with this issue. And that was the first report you put out at Five Borough, which was a great and very timely and very important report on addressing uh, understaffing, recruitment and retention issues in city government. Uh, those have been real challenges spurred on by the pandemic that have yet to be really solved and you have a lot of concrete recommendations in that report so i'll point people back to that and the the adams administration has taken some steps on that front in terms of some more uh slight movement toward hybrid schedules in some cases and some and some other things including by the way some expanded uh paid family leave which ties in with our our child care conversation here 
um, and, and some other reports that Five Borough has put out on a few topics, so folks can find those on your website. You mentioned the uh, new coalition that you're part of, Better Child Care NYC. I'll just mention there's other entities doing this, doing this work, organizing parents, organizing uh, organizations into coalitions. You mentioned them in your report, but there's you know New Yorkers United for Child Care. There's Empire State Campaign for Child Care. There's Campaign for Children. There's probably others, but I think those are the main ones that you mentioned in in your report and that have been active lately. Um, and so many organizations within some of those coalitions trying to do work on uh, availability, accessibility, and, and affordability, not to mention workforce challenges and the the business sector side of things and, and so many others. Um, and I guess maybe that's that's a place to get a final thought from you, although make it two if you want to do this and whatever else you might be thinking of as I'm, as I'm talking here. But um, just back to the sort of idea of the broadness of the number of stakeholders and sectors and leaders taking note here. Um, you know, I mentioned in the introduction, this is not an area where people have been asleep at the switch, so to speak. There's been action at the state level. There's been action at the city level. There's other proposed bills out there. Um, but there's clearly more and more attention on this as New York City deals with uh, so many challenges around affordability. And there's a ton of attention on on two of the biggest areas that deal with that, housing and childcare. And so there is this very broad coalition of folks um, mentioned, you know, supporting your report, as I said, and involved in these coalitions. Maybe you want to say a little bit about that and anything else you want to close on? Sure. Um, I mean, I think big picture, we are at an inflection point as a city when it comes to affordability across the board. I'll even pull back further than childcare, right? Housing is part of that. Um, childcare is a huge part of that. And, you know, but when we look at child care, I think we need to be asking the question, are we are we as a city just going to accept the reality that families will continue to leave New York and hollow out the middle class? Or are we going to come to the table and find a way to simplify regulations, to increase public funding and ensure that all New Yorkers with young children can access quality and affordable care? That's sort of the existential question hanging over all of this. I have been so heartened in our work on this paper uh, by the leaders from sectors that you would not think are focused on childcare, who actually are focused and thinking and talking about childcare more and more. Um, we, as you noted at the top, um, we sought to uplift so much of the great research and work and ideas of very established child care advocates and research organizations that are in New York. And we are so blessed in this city and state to have such a robust cohort of organizations that have been doing impactful work in to to improve access and affordability to child care for many, many years, long before Five Borough existed. So we sought to par partner with them, learn from them, and uplift their ideas in our report. At the same time, we also, as an organization, sought to bring new allies into the conversation and bring them to the table. And that's why we've been really excited by the work that 
the Real Estate Board of New York and DC 37 is doing and why we were thrilled to join their coalition. It's why, you know, we were really proud to um, have positive and supportive quotes in our announcement about our, our report from leaders like uh, organizations like the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce or Tech NYC. Um, we are only going to be able to solve this and improve the situation if New Yorkers from a, a, a broad host of sectors and backgrounds are saying this is a priority. We have to get this right. Um, and we are starting to see that more and more. Sadly, I think it's because we've reached such a crisis point that we are seeing more and more people say uh, this is a major problem and we need to tackle it as quickly as possible. Um, but on on the other hand, I think it is uh, it's fantastic. And I hope to see more uh leaders, especially from the business sector coming forward um, to really give voice to many of the concerns that families have been facing in the city for so long when it comes to child care. Well, we will leave it there, Grace Rao. Thank you. I also mentioned to listeners, again, we couldn't get to everything, obviously, in, even in the report, even in close to an hour here, but um, there are great elements of the report pointing to what are some things that are being done well elsewhere in the United States and abroad? And what are some of the models? And, and so that's always such a great uh, part of the public policy conversation. We obviously focus a lot more on sort of like what, what can New York City do sooner to make uh, improvements? But there's also some really great mentions of possibilities and, and exemplars elsewhere or just food for thought from elsewhere in the report. So check it out. That report is from the Five Borough Institute, Investing in Families and Our Future, a policy roadmap to address New York City child care needs now. Grace Rao is executive director of the Five Borough Institute. Grace, thank you for the time and the thoughtful conversation. Thank you, Ben. Such a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. <laughs>